This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am fired up for today because we're talking a little bit about the upcoming election, but it's also a repost of our conversation with Ken Sim. But Adam, before anyone hits pause or delete or whatever with the repost, I mean, we occasionally put out a repost, which is basically a show that we've already released. Right. We usually do it in the depths of August, maybe maybe right around the new year. We don't do it too often, actually. But uh, this is, I guess, technically a repost because this is a conversation we had with Ken from late last year. But there's a very specific reason for releasing it right now. And it's basically that Ken Sim is in a horse race for the mayoral election that is taking place in exactly one month. Right. Right now, incumbent Kennedy Stewart has 35% of uh, decided voters, according to a recent poll by Mario Canseco. And Ken Sim has 30%. 5% difference. This is a tight election. These are, the, these are basically, it's going to be one of these two. And uh, and this was such a great conversation with Ken Sim. We thought we had to re-release it. I, I think back to that conversation with Ken, and we actually got to spend the morning with Ken, which was a, a real privilege. Super bright guy. We both left that conversation and that that hangout going like, this guy, you know, we're not very political uh, usually on the show, but I think we both left thinking, this guy's so impressive. Well, right? he outlined a number of the challenges facing Vancouver and how he would tackle them, but also... He seems to have a, the ability to untap or the ideas that untap Vancouver's potential. Right. And I left kind of inspired about, wow, there's a, there's a lot we could do. There's a lot of great ideas here. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and just uh, for people that don't know Ken Sim, he's the co-founder of Nurse Next Door, over 200 locations across three countries. He's created over 8,000 jobs with Nurse Next Door, which is just no incredible. Deal. Obviously, he co-founded Rosemary Roxalt Bagels. That's a lot of obvious. That's that's obvious for you specifically, Matt. You eat a lot of bagels, and you also get bageled at, in our tennis matches. So I I feel like uh, you're you're familiar with I'm, the bagel. I'm big on bagels. Yeah, and uh, two time recipient of Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the of the Year Award sits on St. Paul's Hospital Board. He's always involved in initiatives around health real and soft, harm reduction. Uh, soft spot for Chinatown, which I feel has just really been hurting for for a while. Yep. I feel like the hits just keep on coming, but he's got some ideas in, in terms of revitalization there as well. It's hard not to um, feel a gravitational pull towards Ken Sim uh, once you get to know him. He's such a nice guy and such a down-to-earth guy as well, and he's obviously had so much success. So it's uh, it's odd to meet a guy like that. Well, and just thinking about, you know, even not so much about Ken, but more about just the state of Vancouver, I just right. feel like there's a pessimism in the city and like, there's a number of crises that just don't seem to be getting resolved. You know, health and harm reduction, 
The housing crisis, housing uh, and affordability, first and foremost, crime and safety, crime and safety. Like it just feels like we're not in a great place. Uh, Adam, are we better off? Are we better off than we were in 2018 when, when this council came in? Right. And you know, two things. One is a lot of people have argued to, to us, I think on the show, you know, Kennedy Stewart, the mayor in, in a city like Vancouver doesn't actually have a lot of power. It's one vote amongst the council. There's people that are good at politics and can and can massage and arm twist and wrangle and get the votes to get things done. And there's people that just aren't. Yeah. There's just nothing been getting done. Well, has anyone, we've had a ton of people on all sides of the spectrum, uh, political spectrum on the show. Has anyone ever given a glowing review of the current state of the council? I, have you have you heard I've that? Never. And you know, we often I mean, think, even okay, on are, Twitter, we in, are we in a are we in a uh, echo chamber? In an echo chamber, but I feel confident. I would say no on that. So it's just an interesting moment. I feel like this is the most important election in a long time in Vancouver. It's I, time I don't to know shake if, things up. It, it, yeah, this is very important. Not least, I will say, I had my suite in my house, 30, 40 people through on the weekend because uh, I was looking for, for a new tenant. Yeah, and the type of people that are desperately searching for housing in basements with two kids who, sure. who are born and bred in Vancouver. Like, it's not like I showed up last week, 35 years old with great jobs. It's a tragedy. There is something broken in this city and we need big, There's, bold ideas. And we haven't had those. So I just feel like, yeah, we're not political necessarily on the show, but it's just, is we're at a breaking point. We are at a breaking point. I've got the sign in the yard. You do. Uh, I do. And uh, it, it's time for change. Without further ado, our conversation with Ken Sim, a better city. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Mark on building for life. Okay, so we're here with Ken Sim, co-founder of Nurse Next Door, Rosemary Rock Salt, and mayoral candidate for a better city. How you doing, Ken? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much for taking the time today, Ken, and uh, and coming down to our studio. This is a real treat. Well, you haven't heard me speak yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ken, a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with you. Your name's come up on the program before, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you know, I'll give you a brief overview of who I am. Uh, 
Look, my, my parents immigrated here uh, back in 67 from Hong Kong. I was born here in 1970. I went to five elementary schools in seven years, not because we're flipping real estate uh, for the real estate crowd here, <laughs> but because uh, we're one of those families that struggled to make rent. So, I, yeah, look, I grew up all over the city, but in particular, I really grew up in South Van and East Van. I went to Churchill. I went to McGee. I put myself through uh, university. So I graduated from uh, the Faculty of Commerce, which is now the Sauter School of Business. I became a chartered accountant. I actually uh, became an investment banker. So I worked in Vancouver, Toronto, and London, England as a, an investment banker, and then went into private equity back in Toronto. And then in 2001, when Tina and I found out that she was pregnant with her first kid, we decided to quit our jobs and come back to Vancouver and try to start up a business. So the timing probably wasn't the greatest, right? <laughs> but we decided to do it anyways. And uh, then Tina went on emergency bed rest with, um, with Tyler. And we tried to find some caregivers, and we had some pretty scary experiences. And that's what led us to start up this company called Nurse Next Door, which is a home health care company. We're actually celebrating our 20th anniversary this month. Wow. And um, from our humble beginnings, we now have approximately 8,000 team members across Canada, the United States, and Australia. Uh, the second company we started is a company called Rosemary Rock Salt. So we make Montreal-style bagels right here in the lower mainland. So we know what it's like to have a small business in the retail space, in restaurants, during a pandemic. And let me tell you, uh, you know, we've had our heads punched in a few times, but we'll get through it. You know, we'll be stronger for it. Personally, we have four kids, four boys, age 12 through 20, two dogs. And the reason, look, I, I'm a proud Vancouverite. One of the biggest reasons why, not the only reason, but probably the biggest reason why I decided to run for mayor was my four boys don't see a future for themselves in Vancouver. And, you know, we can talk about that if you want, but that's Absolutely. that's why I'm here. Fantastic. So was that quick enough? Yeah, like, no, that, <laughs> was, that was thorough and uh, concise, definitely. I'm just so curious, just from the business perspective, you've got 4,000 people? About 8,000 people. Or about 8,000 people yeah. across uh, North America. And, and you decide to open Rosemary Rock Salt. Why? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> no, um, we have a really good friends, uh, Pre Siegel and Tim Hopkins, and they own Siegel's Bagels. And, you know, we always chatted about uh, her uh, business and the bagels were phenomenal. And so we decided to, you know, take that brand and try to expand it and uh, have a lot of fun with uh, friends. And so that's what we did. So that's, that's more of a, a passion, pro just more of a passion business, I guess. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's amazing to think with four kids and two dogs and 8,000 employees that you were thinking, well, before I run for mayor, maybe I'll take on another passion yeah. project. How about a nap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one question I had before, yeah, before sort of talking about your political aspirations is you trained as an accountant. Did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur? I know we have some accountants in our family and... I don't know if I'd call them entrepreneurial. You know, did you see yourself as an entrepreneur starting from day one or was that kind of something that you kind of came came to a little later? Yeah, well, you know, I have to qualify this uh, for all my accounting friends who, you know, you have to listen to the whole story before you uh, judge me. No, I, I think in hindsight, I always was an entrepreneur. My parents never gave us allowance. And so we had to hustle as kids. And so in about the fifth grade, I found a comic store on 16th and Dunbar that would 
sell comics for 10 cents. And then the comic shop on West 4th, they would buy the same comics for 25. So I would take the bus from East Van, from Champlain Heights, over to Dunbar and 16th, buy all the comics I could, and then take the bus to West 4th and sell them that same day. And that that was my side (laughs) hustle. So, you know, I I was an entrepreneur at an early age. I never wanted to be an accountant. Look, I I was a finance grad and I couldn't find a job in finance. Uh, When I graduated, the economy just sucked at the time. And so... uh, on the advice of a mentor of mine, he said, take that job at the accounting firm. And I did. And it was the best decision I ever made in hindsight. It was absolutely great. But my journey, um, I, didn't, I didn't plan to be an accountant. It just so happened I became one. Fantastic. Well, we were talking before we went live, Ken, and, and there was a couple things that, that strike me as interesting in terms of your, your mayoral run. One is you have no political aspirations over and above, right? You're, you're, you mentioned, you know, this is like an end, end game politically kind of for you. And it's largely because your four kids don't see a future here in the place you were born. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, or expand, I guess, a little bit on why you're running for mayor? Sure. Look, first of all, never, I, I, I've learned enough to say never say never, but I am 99.9999999999% sure. I will never run for premier or prime minister because it's not about being mayor. I'm so proud of our city. This is the city that I was born in, that I was raised in. I moved away a few times and I I decided to come back. And, uh, you know, Vancouver used to be this amazing place that everyone was proud of. And and it's changed over the last little while. and, And my kids don't see a future for them. So, you know, we need people to step up. And to, you know, have adults back at the table, so to speak, and to change the direction of our city. And that's what I intend to do. I won't be doing it alone because you can't do it as an individual. You need a whole team around you. And so that's the goal. It's not to be mirror. Uh, it, it's to build a movement that will change the direction of our city. And I'm just one part of that movement. You know, just thinking about that, do you see your background as well-situated for, for kind of heading up this movement? as a entrepreneur? Sure, absolutely. You know, I I think what happens is a lot of people, they don't understand entrepreneurship or they're politicians and they want to attack. Um, But when you look at entrepreneurs, you know, the skill set, you know, it's it's no better or no worse than anyone else. So let's let's put that out there. So I'm not saying, oh, wow, entrepreneurship is great. I just really enjoy it. And as an entrepreneur, you know, we provide a vision for something that people don't see or they don't believe can actually happen. And then you get people engaged in the process. And then you deal with all the challenges that you face. And the challenges could be people related, you have competing interests, you have limited financial resources, the list goes on and on. And the same thing applies to government. And I can tell you right now, you know, the reason I'm on this podcast today and the reason I'm here in general is a lot of people feel the same way in terms of the city isn't working. And so I think we need to look at it, uh, look at the problem completely differently. And yeah, I think entrepreneurship is very well suited to running a city. Can we talk maybe a little bit about where the the city of Vancouver is getting it wrong, in your opinion, and maybe even against the backdrop of of the pandemic? What did Vancouver get right during the pandemic and what did we get wrong, in your opinion? Okay, and once again, I want to qualify this because there are 11 people in that chamber and we don't see most of what they do. So there could be a lot of great things that they're doing that we never see. Right. And uh, so I'm just going to talk about the big chunky things that are, are pretty visible. 
let's celebrate what went well. The the patio permits, as an example, that absolutely that yeah. helped small business. Now, I think we could have done it a lot faster. You know, there was a solution where we could have issued patio permits within two days to the entire city. Let's call it a win because that actually did help out quite a bit. And the public plazas, I thought that was great as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a bunch of misses. I think uh, the big one that no one's really talking about is uh, I do believe that the city of Vancouver, or at least the um, the mayor and council, collectively did not advocate well enough for Vancouver. When you think of the federal government, they spent about half a trillion dollars dealing with COVID. And the city of Vancouver, if you just base this on, on population, should have received about $10 billion of the $500 because the city of Vancouver is about 2% of the population. I can tell you, we didn't get $10 billion. And in fact, let, let's say, and I, look, it, it's so hard to count the number, but let's say we got $500 million and people would celebrate that. That is the equivalent of the federal government giving out $10 and we get a penny. Like, it, it's absolutely crazy. So I think that was the biggest miss. I also feel that public safety really fell by the wayside. And, you know, you, look, we have property crime. There's reported property crime, but there's also a huge amount of unreported property crime. There's uh, violent assaults. There's anti-Asian hate crimes. I, look, I, I've, spent, I, I've spent time speaking with people across the city. I've spoken to over 18,800 people in the city since the last election. And it doesn't matter if you're in Strathcona, Mount Pleasant, Chinatown, Yale Town, even Kitts, uh, People don't feel as safe as they used to. And so that's, that's another big miss. Look, we, we can go on and on, but those right. are two really big ones. Oh, our businesses are suffering, but I guess we all know about that. As well. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing that strikes me about specifically about, I, I feel like everybody could get on board with getting more money from the federal government, right? I would mm-hmm. I would assume. I don't think anybody would argue that. The idea of, public safety, I feel like, and and maybe this is a product of spending too much time on Twitter, there's so many competing voices and so many differing opinions and viewpoints and vantage points. Like how, and this is like, I'm genuinely asking this, how do you plan to tackle that problem with so many differing interests involved in in establishing order in the city where, where they're potentially hasn't been order in certain neighborhoods. Yeah, you know, I think there's two things. I think you have to triage, uh, you know, the current situation, and then you have to build out a long-term plan. So on the long-term plan side of things, let's call it what it is. It's a very complicated issue with multi-jurisdictional uh, interests. But at the end of the day, it's also simple. For the most part, we have serious mental health and addiction issue and people experiencing homelessness. And so when you lead from a place of empathy and kindness, if you understand that that's actually the issue, and then you know a byproduct of that could be some kind of criminal activity or something that makes people un- feel unsafe, instead of penalizing people, you actually deal with the root cause of the problem. Um, and we can talk about that. Now, when it comes to triage, I do believe that we have to invest more in community safety and we have to stop throwing our police officers under the bus. Any mayor of Vancouver, not just the current mayor, but any mayor of Vancouver is actually the head of the chair of the police board. And so the the buck stops with the mayor. And so if there is a challenge with the the police, it's incumbent upon the mayor to say, this is my issue and I'll deal with it and we'll make things better. 
as opposed to, you know, blowing up morale uh, in the police force. And it's actually a significant issue because people are people. And, uh, you know, we I, I celebrate the fact that we have a, an incredibly diverse police force. Uh, 52% of the police force is some kind of visible minority, LGBTQ, woman, uh, person of color, what have you. Three quarters of the executive team are not you know, older white males, like you have Howard Chow, you have Steve, uh, you have Fiona, and then you have Adam, right? And Adam's the only, um, you know, Caucasian dude there. So, you know, to say that um, we don't have an empathetic uh, police force is, is absolutely crazy. And the police, will, they'll be the first people that will tell you that they actually don't want to be involved in a lot of the issues that they are working on. Mm-hmm. They would actually support, you know, shifting resources towards, mental health and addictions. But the problem is you can't do that overnight. You have two jurisdictions. You have the province that deals with health issues, which is a separate budget. And then you have the city of Vancouver that raises taxes to, you know, support the police. And so I, I know I'm, I'm rambling here, but at the end of the day, we have a significant issue across our city and we need to triage that. And we have to provide more empathetic, and it's already empathetic, but empathetic community safety. And the longer term plan is shifting, um, getting the province to step up a little more to help us deal with the real issue of mental health and addictions. Mm -hmm. So Ken, one thing I've just been thinking about a lot lately, and it seems exacerbated over the the pandemic, but, you know, Adam and I both live in East Van and, you know, one of the things that we kind of talk about on the show and, and, talk and think about a lot is is kind of the downtown east side and and at once it seems like it's problematic to kind of you know the, the poorest postal code in Canada mm-hmm. kind of centralize poverty mental health and despair essentially in that area at the same time over covid you know our other office uh, or our brokerage office I should say is in Yale town Yale town seems to have it's changed dramatically over mm-hmm. the last 18 months. Um, you know, there's a safe injection site uh, across from Emory Barnes Park now. It's it, it, There's this sort of tension between, it seems problematic to centralize uh, everybody in the downtown east side, and yet it it's also seems problematic to be putting safe injection sites, you know, throughout the city. I'm just wondering, like, you know, where you mentioned root causes, how do you plan to tackle that and deal with empathetically deal with um, you know the mental health and addiction that we have in this city? Well, there there is so much to unpack there. <laughs> so I, I I can give you maybe I can give you a couple of you know micro examples. Sure. Um, you know, in, in no particular order, I think what we need is we need adults back at the table and people that aren't beholden to anyone to be in public office. And so, you know, the the safe injection site. Uh, downtown in Yaletown. If the politicians just listened to, you know, the experts, they wouldn't have put it there. And it's not that the community doesn't support a a safe injection site. Like we had one at St. Paul's. We should have it really close to St. Paul's as an example, because if uh, if you have, well, first, um, we already had one there. But two, if you had any issues, it's right by the first responders. And on top of it, it's not right across the street from a park. And so, you know, and, and the, the experts that, you know, um, uh, the VPD and uh, other people that lived in the neighborhood and people that uh, worked in healthcare, the overwhelming, you know, recommendation was that wasn't the right spot. It wasn't because they were NIMBYs, it was because it was not the right spot. So we need to depoliticize this and we, we have to stop attacking people um, if we don't like their answer. 
and making them bad, vilifying them. We need to, you know, be actively listening. When it comes to, you know, the, the sprawl, let's say, of these issues, it, you know, when we go back to the root cause, what we what we know is what we're currently doing isn't working. And what we've also shown during this pandemic is that we do not have a lack of resources or at least financial resources. So let's let's have that conversation. You know, let's let's agree to the fact that people are suffering and dying. No one's enjoying it. You know, and th- that's actually a terrible. Th- like, I, I wish I had better words to say than that. Like, but uh, the point is, um, if 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 you're an individual that's experiencing these issues, it really like it, it's terrible. And um, if you live in the neighborhood, you're effect- affected as well. And if you you know have a business, etc. So like. Everyone can agree that it's not working, but we do have the resources to do it. We have to have the province step up on the healthcare side. We need the federal government to step up on the uh, housing side. And the city of Vancouver, we need to step up in terms of accelerating, um, you know, permitting, letting, um, you know, the province build certain things uh, when they need to and providing community safety in the meantime. Ken, we have an election coming up in, in 2022. What is at stake in this upcoming election, in your opinion? You know, not to be overly dramatic, but I think everything. The future of our city for the next 30 years, and make no mistake about it, that means the future of our province and the future of our country. is you know, whatever happens in Vancouver, whether we agree with it or not, affects the rest of the province. And I personally believe that Vancouver is the most important city in Canada, you know, the future is where we are up and down the coast with all the technology companies in the same time zone that are changing the world and Asia. That's what's, you know, that's the future, whether we like it or not. Um, I'm not taking an opinion on that. That's just the reality. So it's in our national strategic interest to have a very strong Vancouver. And then as a resident of Vancouver, a lifelong resident, like what's at stake is, you know, our neighborhoods, our city. And we all know what our challenges are. You know, housing affordability, the downtown east side and surrounding communities, mental health, addictions, or businesses are suffering, the environment. And those aren't going to go away in the short term. So we need to deal with that. But Vancouver can also be the best city on the planet. Like, think about it. Like I said, we live in the right time zone. We're fortunate to be in the same time zone as all the major technology companies that are changing the world. We have arguably the most diverse and educated workforce on the planet. We're the gateway to Asia. We have an amazing movie industry, gaming industry, animation industry. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but we have the number two augmented reality and virtual reality industries on the planet outside of the Silicon Valley, and that's going to be the future. We're building St. Paul's Hospital, which, and I sit on the board of the foundation there, that could be an anchor for healthcare excellence in North America. We can be an environmental leader, and it's our plan to attract um, amazing environmental uh, companies to reside in Vancouver, and we can talk about that all, all day long. So we have all these things that can make Vancouver the best city on the planet if if we exercise or you know realize those opportunities, and we can drop the ball. And and just to spell it out, because there's a few things that that all sounds exciting. And before you mentioned bringing adults back to the table, what does it look like in your mind if we, I guess, continue to drop the ball, let's say, or, you know, what are the, what are the threats that, that can derail kind of all the, the optimism uh, and the, the, you know, the bright future Vancouver could have? 
Well, once again, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, there's so many threats, but uh, I think at the end of the day, we have to give people a reason to be here. And then we have to give people an opportunity to be able to be here and, you know, build lives here. And so, you know, I, I look at my kids, for example, they're too young to think about housing affordability. So what they look at is, is there a cool city? Is, is there a vibe? Is there opportunity to have a career in the industry I want to be in? If it was all about housing affordability, I can tell you right now, Detroit would be an amazing place because yeah. <laughs> houses are super affordable there. And I'm not trying to knock Detroit here, no. but, you know, it's way too simplistic when you say housing affordability is the only issue. Now, it's a massive issue and we need to address that or we're in a lot of trouble. Like, I've spoken to so many people and I, I remember meeting this couple, two recently graduated physicians. They can't make it work in Vancouver. Now, think about it. Two doctors can't make it in Vancouver, what hope do most other people have right. if they're not already established? And we're talking about the future of our city. So those are some of the things that can derail us from ever getting to the promised land. Right. And it, it makes me worried every time I talk to a police officer who's coming in from mission, you know, to work their shift mm -hmm. in Vancouver, right? So, I mean, obviously the service industry is another uh, huge concern. So in, th in thinking about like just real estate in Vancouver because and, and maybe before I get to the next question about Vancouver real estate making sense do you see like the in talking about our our place in the in the world um, which a lot of the optimism kind of centers about, about how how Van, what Vancouver's role is going to be in the west coast and in, in in the global context in general presumably we're going to get a lot of attention from people wanting to move here presumably that's going to be a uh, we're going to continue to be a, a, a highly desirable. The demand to be in this city, if we if we get it right, will mm -hmm. continue. And, and it seems to me like there's a, a friction there. There seems almost a lot of people, especially when they're concerned about the cost of housing, they it's almost like they don't want um, progress to move forward or for us to become a global player because that means we're going to be getting more people with big high high paying jobs maybe that are looking for housing that are coming here. And in kind of in, in light of that, like, does Vancouver real estate make sense kind of currently? And, and how do we carve out a piece uh, or carve out an area for people that aren't in the tech industry or, or aren't, you know, making huge salaries? Yeah. Back to the example I gave you, like Vancouver real estate doesn't make sense in the fact that if two doctors can't afford to live here, we're in a lot of trouble. Right. And so regardless if we agree with it or disagree with it, that's a significant issue. When it comes to, let's say, demand, we all know Vancouver is an incredibly desirable place to live. Despite all of our challenges, it's still, you know, one of the best cities on the planet. Personally, I think it's the best city, but, you know, right. you know and, and we can make it even better. But uh, I don't think you can suppress demand. Now, you actually, sorry, you can suppress demand, but what it would take is literally layering on billions upon billions of dollars in taxes. And the net result of that will be it will hammer homeowners and renters. So the people that want to see demand suppressed will actually get hurt as well. So that, that actually isn't a solution. So we have to work on the supply side and we have to make it easier for uh, people to build now. And we need to build the right stuff. You know, we don't have to put mega towers everywhere uh, very far from it. But if we speed up the process 
And we get a, rid of a lot of regulatory red tape and we're innovative in how we do things. We could make significant headway super quickly and we can actually increase um, the amount of affordable supply to uh, people that want to live here. No doubt. No doubt about it. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. Just thinking about that, and I don't even know where we're at with this anymore. We had Gil Kelly on the show, former... Right before chief. he left. What did you guys say to him? Yeah, exactly. What did you guys say to make him leave? Exactly. It didn't go well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was on. He was on, and he was talking about the the city plan, right? Like yeah. the one city plan. Just because you know, we've talked to so many people, and specifically about the city of Vancouver, right? Because Burnaby's building, you know, developers have come on our show and said Burnaby's a lot easier. You know, Coquitlam's a lot easier. Or Moody, maybe not so much, but Vancouver is a, is a particularly difficult place to build in. Mm -hmm. And and it does feel like, you know, that part of that is, is why South of the Fraser is kind of exploding because you're able to build in Surrey and, you know, it's more affordable and, and Vancouver feels stagnant in a lot of ways. Um, I know Gil Kelly was talking about the kind of city plan, the, the large overarching plan. And then, of course, we have the official community plans, but there's always backlash to that. Like how, how in your mind, just digging a little deeper there, can we, you know, get rid of the red tape and we're, we're going to net zero soon as well on the environmental sure. yeah. side, yeah. but get rid of the red tape, but also all the pushback from communities. I mean, I live in Grandview where there's no new towers at commercial Broadway all over the neighborhood. You know, it's a challenging, you know, for, for all the, the talk of, Hey, let's build baby build. 
and that's not what you're saying, but we've heard it. How, how do we kind of slice through all of that? Well, I think what we need to do is we need to make things a lot simpler. And so what we've been talking about is, look, if it makes sense for the city over the next 20 years, we should do it and we should expedite it. And if it doesn't, we should put it on the back burner. And so to give you an illustrative example, you know, we're talking about the subway. If someone said, let's build, and I'm going to give you a ridiculous example. So I want to qualify this for all your <laughs> listeners, because I'm not saying we're going to do this. Okay. But it's to reinforce the point. If someone said, we're going to build a 300-story tower on 37th and Granville, I'd go, yeah, you know what? I don't see that happening in the next 20 years. So you can talk about it, and maybe we'll see you in 2240, the year 2240. Right? <laughs> um, now, if someone said, hey, listen, let's build a six-story um, office uh, building on Arbutus and Broadway, I'd go, that's actually kind of crazy because we're literally going to look at it two minutes after it's built and say, that was a missed opportunity. Mm. And so what we need to do is we need to actually look at the city from the lenses of, does it make sense? And so all of a sudden you can t have conversations around, hey, listen, why, why are we even having conversations about six stories on main arterial roads? Like that should be a given. Right. Because in, in 20 years, we're going to look back at all the six-story uh, or four stories that are built up and go, that, that was absolutely crazy. Anything above that, like, let's start having a conversation. I think what we need to do as well is we need to have some kind of a plan where we say, look, this is the vision for the city. Uh, we want vibrant neighborhoods, and this is how we'll build in certain areas. But then we leave it up to the community and uh, the builders to decide how they're going to build within that framework. Because I think it's absolutely crazy the mayor and council literally have to sit in that chamber and debate the merits of individual buildings. Whether you agree with it or not, what happens is it actually is an incredible bottleneck mm -hmm. on getting supply into the market and it increased the costs. And so for a mayor and council who say that their priority is to do that, what they're doing is the complete opposite of making that happen. Especially when certain people vote no to every single, <laughs> every, yeah, yeah. whether it's market or not. Yeah. You know, and we'll, we'll let the, you know, the next election decide whether or not, you know, people support that. Now to get, um, I, I want to leave you with a couple of really cool micro examples of some things that we can do immediately, like literally in our first month in office that will have a profound effect on um, affordability and supply. So, you know, one thing we're promoting are these, uh, the concept of a nexus lane or permits that you can get in two hours, not eight months to eight years in two hours. So if you're going to build a house that everyone knows is going to get built anyways, uh, it doesn't change the complexion of the neighborhood. What we're going to do is we're actually going to give you a checklist and you, yeah, or the, whoever's building the house, we give them a checklist and they go home on their own time. And if it takes them two weeks or two years to fill it out, it really doesn't matter. But when that checklist comes back and it's approved by a certified professional or an architect that the city approves of, we'll award you all your permits. So you get them right away. But here's the catch. We're going to audit your build. And if you don't build according to your plan, then you have a problem. Like we'll knock your place down. Right. And so, you know, either you want the permit or not. If you want the permit, great. If you don't, you say, yeah, you can't live up to that. Oh, we'll go, all right, well, I'll tell you what, you can get in that line there, wait eight months to eight years. And by the way, once you get your permits, we're actually going to really audit you because you just turned down a two-hour <laughs> permit. Right. Now, that's the two-hour permit. Yeah. The instant permit is if you're going to 3D print your home. 
And so it sounds a little crazy right now. Look, I, I'm a futurist and we'll talk about that if you want. But uh, 3D uh, printed homes are absolutely beautiful now. You can actually print them in less than five days at two thirds the cost of a traditional stick build with 90% less construction waste. So it's a winner on speed to market, on cost and on the environment. And we like it so much that when we're in office, we're actually gonna say Vancouver is the first city on the globe that's gonna promote this as an initiative and we're gonna support it. And what will happen is we'll let companies, companies will start to flock to Vancouver and they will build the know-how. And then we'll export that IP to the rest of the world. And what we're going to do is we're going to create business opportunities and higher paying jobs for people that want to stay in Vancouver. And you can call them technology people. You can call them environmentalists. You can call them home builders. It doesn't really matter. It's all the same. That's just one opportunity that we have in our city that no one's taken yet. And that's that, you know, you asked the question earlier, entrepreneurship, how is it relevant? Right. You know. Politicians aren't thinking that way, but entrepreneurs are. And so, you know, we, we live in abundance, not in scarcity. And there are so many things we can do to make this place absolutely amazing and address all of our challenges. And is that, just so I understand, is that primarily for single-family home or is that, or single-family homes or would... Can you actually, I know nothing about 3D printing out yeah, homes, but... Yeah, uh, right now for single-family homes. Yeah. Now, sort of give you a little bit of background, I tour the world looking for best practices. And so I, I've toured, um, you know, Toyota Home and Daiwa House in Japan and how they build homes and factories. And that, this was over a decade ago. So, you know, we can build homes and factories or 3D print them. You can actually build, you know, towers, basically like Lego. You know, in China, they're doing that right now. And mm-hmm. they can literally build three stories per day. And they're better built and they're all to code and what have you. So there are innovative solutions out there in the world. We just need to look for them. But the answers are already in front of us. Right. Because they, I guess they, they, they expedite, they bring housing sooner. And on top of it, you can meet the environmental codes. And it, it, I know a lot of the, the, like the prefab builds, it's very easy to kind of hit the net zero goals or initiatives. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's what we want. We're all environmentalists. You know, forget the labels for a sec. Anyone who lives in Vancouver loves the environment. That's one of the big reasons why we're here. And right. so, you know, and these things uh, can coexist. You know, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a business person. But we think in terms of, you know, triple bottom lines, people, planet, profit. And they you can't have, like, you, you need all three or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Ken, and one of the things that the city actually has done quite recently is is uh, convert the RS zoning to RT to duplex zoning. What are your thoughts about kind of light density or gentle density and 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 its role in the future of our city? Oh, I think it has a big um, role in our our future. The reality is there are going to be way more people here, and a lot of our neighborhoods are you know they're not workable anymore. And there's a whole host of reasons for that. But if, if you travel the world and you look at some of the great cities in the world, they are a little denser. And, you know, you have vibrant neighborhoods, vibrant communities. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's a good thing. And think of it like I, I've had lots of conversations uh, with people in Dunbar. And people think, for example, that no one in Dunbar would want that. But when you talk to people, 
they're like, yeah, the young people want it. They want an opportunity to live, you know, where they grew up. And, you know, the, the, you know, the, the older generations, they want it as well in the sense that they, they just want to be by their families and they've seen the community uh, get sort of gutted. And so I, I think it's a great solution. And it actually will let us maintain, you know, some great community feel in a lot of our neighborhoods as opposed to putting up, you know, massive towers everywhere. And that's the choice. Right. Like if, if we're not going to support, you know, gentle density and infill, that's fine. But then what are we going to do? How are we going to provide affordable housing to people that want to live and work in the city? You're going to have to put in towers or you're going to have to scrap the ability of people to live here, which will actually destroy our city. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, it's maybe four floors and corner stores or, or whatever the, the line is versus towers is a false choice. We need, you know, maybe slightly less gentle density in all neighborhoods and and then of course towers near the you know near the transportation I, I, I think it's a little more complicated than that and so you know it really depends on the neighborhood if you wanted to build what four stories and corner stores or whatever you know in the west end i think you're nuts yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure <laughs> um you know uh and then if you went to strathcona for example if if you saw a tower go up on Union Street, I think you, regardless if you lived there or not, you'd go, that was completely ridiculous because that's one of the great neighborhoods in our city. And it's one of the greatest streets in our city with, uh, you know, with a rich and deep history. And we should celebrate that. And, you know, yeah, I've even spoken with developers and there are a lot of developers who actually, they get that equation as well. And they don't want to build to the maximum. They realize that if you actually build not to max and you keep the community feel you'll have a vibrant neighborhood and on for self-serving reasons for them you know they can rent out you know the commercial spaces at higher rents because more people want to be there right so it's it's way more complicated than just saying one or the other Mm -hmm. i think you know if the the mayor and council they can give a vision for the city like main arterial road six stories let's say near subway stops, we should, you know, have some density that sort of like, you know, declines as you get further away. And then in specific neighborhoods, you know, you have to keep the community feel, whatever that looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're not going to solve it on this uh, podcast today. But when, when you provide that framework and then you let people work in that framework, I, I think that's the role of mayor and council. So can maybe uh, pulling back away from real estate and more just the state of the city uh, again, you know, one thing that strikes me as the challenges as, as, as you see it facing the city right now, and especially since the onset of COVID, it, it does feel the problems seem particular to the West coast, right? So I think the same issues are, are happening in Washington and Oregon and, and San Francisco, of course, you know, maybe just your thoughts on a why, that seems, you know, the, I mean, obviously the housing crisis spans, but uh, the same issues are prevalent across. And, you know, we often look down through Cascadia's for models and kind of uh, sister cities or however you want to call it and the tech sector uh, and everything else. But are there cities that you see as models for Vancouver moving forward, you know, whether they're on the West Coast or not? Okay, so I, I think there are a few things there. Uh, <laughs> There's a couple different questions. <laughs> a couple of different questions there. Yeah, look, we have some significant challenges. I, you know, at the risk of upsetting certain people, but I, I just like having authentic conversations. I believe we actually, we allow it to happen. And, 
you know, I, I this uh, this question's uh, you know a little dear to my heart in the sense that I knew of five people, uh, friends of mine, that ended up in the downtown east side, and two of them died. And so, if if I knew of five, that means there's probably hundreds of people that I knew that ended up down there. And you know, let's let let's talk about these individuals. Um, you know, everyone's someone's son or daughter. Um, there are a bunch of different ways to end up there. And before people judge people and how they end up there, um, have a conversation, go to the downtown east side, actually talk with people and you understand, you know, that a lot of people suffered from significant trauma or maybe they had schizophrenia or they got addicted to painkillers when they threw their back out. The list goes on and on. So I, I wanted to put that out there first before I answer your question. I do think we allow it to happen. You know, people always say, well, it's the weather in Vancouver that, uh, you know, that's the issue. Well, you know what? The weather is the same in Burnaby and North Van and West Van. Right. And so, you know, there's certain things that we do in the city that, you know, creates this situation. And I, I want to help bring a solution. And so we need to have these hard conversations and we need support uh, from the government. We, you know, we need uh, support from the province and the feds to deal with these issues. Because I can tell you one thing, if it was my son, any one of my sons that were there, and it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. It's not okay. It's not okay, you know, to have someone suffering. You know, some people may look at that individual as an inconvenience and dehumanize the person. And I understand the feeling for that, but that, that's my son. And on the flip side, it's also my business and I, I understand both. So either way, it's not workable for anyone. So we, we need to get together as a community and say, look, what we're doing right now isn't working and how do we address these issues and not make it a right versus left argument anymore, progressive versus not. In fact, I don't think it's progressive if we let it persist because people are getting terrorized down there. So I don't know if I answered your question there. I more sort of just commented mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. Thinking about maybe one of the things that happened in my community uh, during the pandemic was um, Strathcona Park. And I, I got to know the the park board really quite well. Members of the park board, a lot of people I think don't don't under, necessarily understand the role of the park board and and its role at the municipal level. You've made some headlines recently talking about basically dismantling the park board as part of your platform. Or I'll I'll let you speak to it maybe. But what role does the park board play in in your mind if a better city uh, gets in? Yeah. So I'm all for a park board. I'm just not for the elected park board. Ah. Uh, there's a distinction there. So uh, to give people, your listeners, context, uh, Vancouver is the, actually, it's not the only jurisdiction. Minneapolis has a park board and Culpus Lake has a park board as well. But besides that, every other major city and town in North America does fine without an elected park board. And... I like it. It's not just me. A lot of people want to get rid of the elected park board because it's actually become politicized and it's become a quasi training ground for people who want to use it as a stepping stone to become a counselor or mayor. And so that would be, you know, I, I don't want to say that's necessarily okay, but that would be okay. But for the fact that people are literally dying because of the actions of the park board. Like you, you look at Oppenheimer Park and Strathcona Park, they got in the way. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard enough. We, we talk about multi-jurisdictional issues when you have a park board, then you have council, plus you have the province um, and the feds dealing with issues around homelessness, addictions, uh, 
mental health, housing, what have you. More cooks in the kitchen actually make it worse and they got in the way. And so people died. And that's, you know, that that's the main reason we should get rid of them. And then you look at the list of other things that haven't gone super well with the park board. For example, taking years to figure out whether or not people can are allowed to have a responsible drink in a park. Well, they're still studying it and people are still drinking regardless, right? And so it's a moot point. Even if their study says don't do it, people are still going to do it. And so we're, we're asking the wrong question there. Or spending a couple of million bucks on four toilets, which is absolutely crazy, considering all the other jurisdictions are spending a lot less for the same toilets. Or the fact that we lost the aquarium, you know, it, the sale of the aquarium, how it happened, there was actually a good process that happened. But we have to ask ourselves, what is the role of the park board who weren't involved in that process? Like, are they there to, you know, support the parks or not? And so, you know, they were ineffective there. The, the list goes on and on, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's time. You know, I think the park board came about in 1888 when people used to drive their horses into Stanley Park. <laughs> um, you know, we can change things. Unfortunately, we do have a bunch of politicians that are trying to defend it as opposed to saying, well, why do we need it and how do we do better? Why? So j- just thinking about that, the, the alcohol in the park thing has been this, watching that is like, yeah, it's the... It doesn't seem like it's that complicated of a question, but the the length of time, it seems insane to me. The expensive public washrooms, I actually didn't know about. That seems crazy. I guess two questions. One is, how do things get so gummed up just in, in your mind? Like, how does it get to this point? And, and two, why on earth are politicians supporting the status quo in your mind? How did things get gummed up? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know you were part of the gumming up. Yeah. yeah. You're, uh, you're no, part of the solution. Okay. Uh, I yeah. take it back. That yeah. You know, um, I, I wasn't deep. No, no. It's a good question. I just don't know the answer to it. And I'm yeah. not afraid to answer it. Look, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just know it's really, it's incredibly dysfunctional. And if it was just a minor thing, it'd be one thing. Uh, like, it, it, maybe it's inconvenient. But the fact is, people are actually dying in that park and people are getting terrorized. Like, you have people with mental health issues that are getting terrorized, preyed upon. So that that's not empathetic. Um, so, sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent there. Um, I think it's rare to find people who will say, yeah, you know what, what I've been working on for a while isn't working. And coming full circle with an entrepreneur, you literally have to admit those things. Yeah. Because no one cares about you. And if you don't admit to the fact that you were off base on something, you just go bankrupt. Right. And so you go, wow, I have better information. I was wrong and we should do something about it. Whereas, you know, you, you know, politicians, uh, look, this is a very general comment. There are a lot of really good politicians out there, but in general, more of them than not, they need to save face and they need to, they, they don't like being critical upon them uh, of themselves because they don't get rewarded for that. Right. You know, and then their opponents, they, jump on them and say, even you admitted that you screwed these things up left, sure. right, and center. So, <laughs> right. you know, we, we caused this as well. So I, you know, it's, it's more of an observation. So maybe as a final question, can uh, a better city, this is a new political party and we probably should have led with this, but uh, a, a new political party for, for the city of Vancouver. Can you talk a little bit about a better city and, and what the plan is? Sure. It's a movement and it represents 
I believe most Vancouverites, it's not political. There's no right or left in our party. In fact, we have people that are, you know, federal Greens, federal NDP, federal Tories, and federal Liberals in our movement. We just ask everyone to leave their colors at the door because there's no left or right when it comes to vibrant neighborhoods or affordable housing or having, you know, a community or getting having your garbage picked up. That's the first thing, but it is a pretty big movement, and um, we're looking at changing the direction of our city and having, you know, people that are going to change our city, not based on ideology, but based on what actually makes sense. Fantastic. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. We do have a segment called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions to to end the show. Uh, do you have time to stick around for that? Sure. Are these the five toughest questions? <laughs> these, are, these, are, these are doozies. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Number one is what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Whoa. That's right. a, yeah, yeah that's great. a loaded one. Uh, actually, I can't answer that. And not because I don't want to, uh, and I don't want to, but um, no, there's so many great neighborhoods and every neighborhood has its uh, own little feel. And uh, I lived in a bunch of them as well. So I, I'm a little biased. I was going to say, and I, this is, so you grew up in the East Side. Have you lived in the West Side? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see do you see a contrast for how this is a and this is not the five wire. This is outside of the five yeah, wire, yeah, yeah. but there seems to be a, at least a, a lot of people sometimes feel this way that certain things that can happen in the east side of the city won't happen on the west side of the city. And do you see it that way or do you think it's is that ever been a has that crossed your plate in in thinking about and how the the city operates on the east west divide um, when you're mayor? Yeah, I I do see certain aspects of it, and you know some of them are valid, some of them aren't valid. And the answer is, look, we we need to treat all of Vancouver the same, like and recognize the different neighborhoods. But at the end of the day, you know, if if we're talking about community centers, we should have great community centers on both the east and west side, right? And in fact, you can make an argument and, you know, I'm going to, that there should be a few more on the east side because that's where most of the population is ending up, right? And so if you look at the sheer numbers and young families, that's where we need more of them. And then when that changes, then, you know, we should look at, you know, at at each issue accordingly. But instead of, you know, instead of um, pitting the west versus the east, let's look at where the opportunities are and, you know, where the issues are and address the issues um, on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis. Right. And in, in thinking of that, then, just because I, I know we're not going to give a, an area that, that is your favorite, but do you, do you see an area that's kind of ripe for opportunity in Vancouver? Yeah, I see a lot of opportunities in a bunch of different neighborhoods. In no particular order, uh, Chinatown, it's been decimated right now. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's actually not only, and look, I... 
you know, I'm of Asian descent and I'm very proud of my Chinese heritage, but it's way bigger than that. It, it actually, it's a big part of our national history. And even if you, if people don't like that or they, they say, so what? Well, it's actually in our national interest as well, because when tourists hop off of the cruise ships and they go through Chinatown and they see, they'll either have a great experience or a terrible experience. And that will actually, you know, they'll tell all their friends and we'll feel the effects of that 20 years from now. So that's one huge opportunity. You can say the same thing about Gastown. You can look at, you know, let's say West 10th out by the university, that whole neighborhood's been gutted. I can name 15 neighborhoods easily that have huge opportunities in a whole bunch of areas. And that's the exciting part. We live in the world of opportunity. We get to reshape our entire city. Next question, favorite bar or restaurant? I have a lot, but I'll, can I name two? Lao <laughs> uh, Wai. And that's no, the hidden bar, isn't it? It's the hidden one. Can, after the mics are off, you got to, Ken, you got to tell us where to go. <laughs> We're not, we didn't get the, we didn't get the invite or the memo. We missed Definitely it. not cool. Yeah. Well, I, and I don't know if they want to plug, but yeah, you have to get there at five o'clock. You're waiting for, uh, in, in line for two hours. And what I love about that bar is everyone's treated the same. It does not matter who you are. You can't pull a rank. Everyone's treated the same. I love that. You're lining up. doesn't matter. You're lining up. You could be the richest person in the world, or you could be someone with the, without two nickels uh, to them, and it doesn't matter. You're in the same line. Well, Fantastic. I, I've only seen it, photos of it online, but uh, I imagine it's great. And yet a second one. Yeah, Nook. Nook. Oh, yeah. Oh, Nook. yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great one. Uh, one book you would recommend to anyone listening? Oh, can I recommend two? You could recommend five. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Bill Gates, uh, what, how to avoid a climate disaster. That's that's a must read for everyone. Right. Either you're an environmentalist or a business person or anyone in between. Read that book. So, somebody else has uh, suggested that book on the show. And I think I asked them because I haven't read it. It's not uh, my my initial thought with a book like that is it, it's so overwhelming and depressing that it makes you you know, it puts you in a funk, but it sounds like there's actual optimism and it's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's something everybody should actually pick up and, and you're not going to feel bad about it. No, not at all. Okay. So uh, the second book um, I would recommend is a book called The Future's Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis. And he's a futurist and he predicts, you know, all the different technologies that will exist in the future. Now, going back to Bill Gates's book, yeah, it's overwhelming and it's depressing and you think, oh my God, there's no hope. And if you bundle the two together, you actually will have some hope and you know that we can actually solve all of our problems. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. But is it possible? Yeah. So Bill Gates, for example, he will only invest in any company that has the opportunity to pull out 1% of the carbon out of the atmosphere, about 500 million uh, metric tons of carbon. And there's a company in Squamish that he's invested in that is doing exactly that. They're trying to pull out carbon out of the atmosphere. If we live in abundance and we know that we can like solve our challenges and we attract companies like that to Vancouver, we will do more for our environment than like, getting rid of plastic straws, cars, plastic bags, right. all that stuff combined. Like we will, you know, I'm an environmentalist. And I know we could literally shut down Vancouver and we will have almost no impact on the rate of change of temperature on our planet. But if we find the companies and we build the companies in Vancouver, 
there could be a situation where we pull out three to five percent of the world's carbon emissions out of our atmosphere every year, which would actually make Canada carbon neutral. How cool is that? Mm. Those are the bold things that we can do as a city. And even if it doesn't work, the journey will be amazing and will create amazing jobs and opportunities for our kids. Right. So why wouldn't we do that? Fantastic. So, so, and the second book was just... Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the Future's Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis. Okay, fantastic. What is one piece of advice that you'd give your 18-year-old self? <laughs> uh, you know, on-air or uh, off-air? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Somewhere in between. <laughs> on-air. Um, live life full out and be fearless. You know, life is an amazing journey and... Um, don't listen to, you know, all the thoughts that tell you that you're not worthy or you can't do it um, because those are, you know, self-imposed restrictions that aren't even true that we put on ourselves. Well, and coming from uh, uh, someone who started Nurse Next Door with a baby, it's, it's a bold move. Thanks. <laughs> and you know what I've realized? Uh, we have the five wire. One of these questions we've actually replaced since uh, I printed out the wrong copy. Oh, yeah. We do have, so it's a, really a six wire. Before we get to the last question, the new question that we've been uh, having a lot of fun with is favorite band or song? Oh, wow. Favorite band or song? A lot of favorite bands. I was a, a bit of a metalhead uh, growing up. So anything Van Halen, Judas Priest, uh, ACDC, Crocus. Uh, yeah, just I can yeah, picture just, you going from one comic book store yeah. to the next uh, with your headphones. On. Yeah, yeah, this, long hair at the time. Well, well, here's the thing. So the Sony Walkman literally came out a few years after I was flipping comic books. It came out around grade <laughs> seven. So, um, yeah. So I don't know. You've got another thing crying by Judas Priest or Jamie's crying. That Sorry. would have been yeah. actually because you were you were born 1970, so you were. So that was perfect. Like eight, mid eighties, you yeah. were you yeah. were perfect age for that. You know, and, and it was a weird time because you know I was a metalhead, but I also listened to Duran Duran and Spando Ballet. Right? Like, yeah. what the hell's that? <laughs> were, were you a, were you a BMXer? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, here, okay. So you know, I, like I and I, I I share these stories of you know not having a lot. Like let let's be real here. Not having a lot in Canada is not not having a lot. Okay, so I, it's just for context. But I remember. This was the time when E.T. came out and they had the E.T. Kuahara bikes. Right. And they were 289 bucks and we couldn't afford it. So my mom bought a mongoose off the police auction, I think for like 50 bucks. <laughs> and that was my bike. And then I tried to make it look like an E.T. bike. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> last but not least, uh, what is something that you've bought in the last year or two for under $1,500? That's had a positive impact on your life. Wow. I bought an aura ring. Actually, wait, I'm wearing it. I don't know if you can, well, oh, you can see this. I've so so I had a conversation with someone about an aura ring. Yep. And now it's on every social media. It's yep. it just pops up at all the advertising. But I still haven't talked to someone who has has one. So I'm I, I've never heard of it. Oh, sure, yeah. I'll show it to you. It has sensors in it. It's a must-have for everyone. So doing a lot of research on sleep as well. And sleep is incredibly important for us, not just in terms of performance, but also health outcomes. And basically, if you get less than seven hours of sleep a day, uh, like it, I hate to be blunt, but it means like earlier death and a lot of problems. 
I used to be the type of person who'd get four hours of sleep, right? I'd go to bed 12 or one o'clock and I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning. And that's just me. And I used to be a badge of honor and it's the stupidest thing you can do. Like you're literally going to kill yourself. You may increase uh, your rates of cancer or Alzheimer's or, you know, some cognitive issues. So from a purely selfish perspective, I'm doing it for self-preservation, but also, you know, you'll, you know, live longer and um, be less of a strain on the healthcare system amongst other things. Yeah. Right? might drive my kids nuts by being around a little longer, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it monitors your sleep. Does it monitor, is, is it only sleep? Or no, is, it monitors step, heartbeat, um, your, you know, when, what types of sleep you get. So REM sleep, deep sleep, um, wow. restfulness, heart rhythm, it, it measures. And it's connected uh, to an app on your phone? It is, yeah. So it's basically like the Apple Watch. It's uh, I, I find it better than the Apple Watch because the Apple Watch is clunky and I don't like sleeping with it at night, but yeah. the, the ring. Oh, right. Of course, I don't ring. actually sleep with mine, but yeah. this is the thing, yeah. yeah. And the battery lasts forever. It takes literally 10 minutes to charge it and then it lasts for like five days. And you can go for runs with it. It measures steps, uh, workouts. It, it's amazing. Matt just one clicked it on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the guy with the watch and the ring. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. for for sleep, it seems really amazing. Oh, that's a good one. We haven't had the, it's Aura, right? Aura. Yeah. O-U-R-A. O-U-R-A. Yeah. Excellent. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Ken, how can people find out more about what you're up to? And uh, of course, uh, a better out, city. Yeah, a better city. Well, we're in this transitional phase right now. So I just... Basically, I, I've become the uh, the candidate for a better city. So you can still find me on kensim.ca. So that's K-E-N-S-I-M.ca. And a better city, I'm sure they're going to put me on their website in the next day or two. And that's a better city.ca. Perfect. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back in the future. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for having me. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with a better city mayoral candidate, Ken Sim. Well, Matt, it's, it might be clear uh, who we endorse in this upcoming election, but if if you are obviously undecided or if you're considering it, it doesn't matter to us who you vote for. The big thing is you can't complain if you don't vote. So get out and vote. Again, it's an, an important election. There's, well, I feel like this is uh, hands down. I can't remember an election that I feel this passionately about that we need to. We need civic engagement. These are these are dire dire issues, right? Housing and affordability, health and harm reduction, crime and safety, and the list goes on. There's a lot of things to be concerned about this election. So definitely do a couple things for us. Uh, if you liked and support the show, smash that subscribe button, first of all. <laughs> yeah. um, share it with a friend and reach out and get in touch if we can help in any way uh, with real estate services or anything else. Um, but of course, get out and vote. And uh, Matt, how can people find out more about our website? Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer with stats before anyone else, different types of stats, sales ratios. We get into the into the granular details, and that's obviously for free. Deal of the month, VIP presale access. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the Live Wire. We also have Adam, tried and true private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's available at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com slash PCS. Sign up for your own free account. And also, Matt, before we cut for the day, we should say 
We've got some t-shirts coming. Uh, we're going to be teasing them. So follow us on Instagram at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Also posting a lot of great content and video on Instagram now. So definitely check us out if you're on the gram. On the gram. I feel like... Uh, That's not a thing. I feel like... On Insta? Yeah. yeah. I don't even know what it's called, but I one thing's for sure. You're on it it's, a lot. It's not me posting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and Matt, how can people get in touch? They can get in touch at any time, 778-847-2854 or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. And Adam, maybe as a final note, hopefully everyone enjoyed this uh, this conversation with Ken Sim. Next week we are back with some fresh original content, and I think we're gonna we're gonna ramp up our own content here a little bit. We'll see. We've got a couple shows coming about the buying and selling process, and what a time to be alive in this current market. Not only to monitor Glorious. it, but to operate in it. It's, oh. uh, it's an interesting time, and it never it's there's never a dull moment in Vancouver real estate. Absolutely. So we'll see you next week. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.